Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we return to Murder by Experts with a story entitled, I Dreamt I Died, originally broadcast September 12th, 1949. David Kogan and Robert A. Arthur teamed up to direct and produce this show, which ran from 1949 to 1951. Six years before the debut of Murder by Experts, the same duo also created The Mysterious Traveler, which continued to run until a year after Murder by Experts went off the air, with Kogan and Arthur writing for both shows the whole time. In the case of Murder by Experts, the two of them were adapting stories rather than creating original works. For each show, a mystery writer or some other well-known expert on the topic of murder would choose a recent crime thriller to dramatize for the show. All told, three authors would get their work promoted each show. The expert, the author of the work to be adapted, and the host. The guest expert in this episode was Hugh Pentecost, which was one of the pen names employed by author Judson Phillips. Phillips was a pulp writer whose work spanned from the 1920s through the late 1980s. As Pentecost, he created several iconic amateur detectives, including hotel manager Pierre Chambrun. From the start of the show's run through March 13, 1950, Murder by Experts was hosted by John Dixon Carr, who was already established as a respected and prolific author. Carr was succeeded as host by Brett Halliday, also a famous and well-regarded author of detective fiction. So here is I Dreamt I Died from Murder by Experts, originally broadcast September 12, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Murder by Experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, Mr. John Dixon Carr, world-famous mystery novelist whose books have been translated into 17 languages and have sold over 10 million copies and author of the recently published detective novel, Below Suspicion. Good evening. This is John Nixon Carr. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective story writers. Tonight, our guest expert is the noted mystery writer, Mr. Hugh Pentecost. From the thousands of thrillers he has read and enjoyed... Mr. Pentecost has chosen a most unusual and gripping drama by Joseph Ruskell. And now we present Miss Anne Shepard and Mr. Larry Haynes in I Dreamt I Died.
Don't kill me. Don't, don't kill me. No. No, don't kill me. Helen, Helen, what's the matter? Hey, 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 now wake up for Pete's sake. Hey, Helen. Now stop that, stop that. It's me, it's me, Ernie. What? Where, where am I? In bed, where do you suppose? It's 2 a.m. I wish you'd let me get some sleep. Oh. Oh. Thank heaven, then it, it was... Must have been a dream. Oh, Ernie, it was so real. I dreamed someone was leaning over me just now with a pillow. It was horrible, trying to smother me to death. And... Ernie. You. It was you. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's a beaut. Uh, oh, where's the light? Uh, <laughs> oh, my aching back. <laughs> Why, you poor foolish little... Come here, come here, Butch. I'll kiss you back to life. Uh, no, 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 don't, don't touch me. Keep away. Say, what is this? That pillow. There in your hand. Oh, for crying out loud. Can't I even straighten it out? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. Gee, I... Oh, don't mind me, but that, that horrible nightmare, it seemed so real. Oh, darling, wasn't that crazy? You, the sweetest, gentlest husband in the world. Oh, Ernie, please don't look so hurt. Now I can't even look hurt. I just murdered my wife in her sleep, didn't I? No, you were just about to. I mean... Oh, now, everything's happening tonight. Hello? What? Who? Wrong number. What's more, this is a heck of a time to be ringing. The nerve. What a night. I thought maybe that was the police you phoned in your dream. Now, will you go to sleep now? Ernie Kraft, I'm sure I didn't mean to insinuate anything. I was just telling you my dream. You asked, didn't you? Oh, you're a character. You know, I think I'll put you in that book I never <gasps> wrote. Now what? That was in my dream, too. Huh? That book you never wrote. Well, you've nagged me about it so much, no wonder. And that look, when you bent over me with a pillow... Like a madman. Uh, in your dream, sweet, a technicality. Lights out. No, no, wait. Ernie, what on earth do you suppose made me have a nightmare? Well, that's easy, dear. You would insist on eating hamburgers after the show tonight. Yes, I did, didn't I? Mm -hmm. When we got out of the movies. Hamburgers, of course. Ernie, they were part of my dream, too. Oh. Hamburger. Ernie, stop punching that pillow, please. All right. Okay, okay. Go ahead, then. Tell me your dream, all of it. Neither of us will sleep until you do. Oh. Wait, I light this cigarette, huh? All right, let's have it. The gruesome details. Well, if I can... Terrifying. Mm, now, what happened before I smothered you with a pillow? Well, it's all like a crazy quilt. Something about your job. And I was a... Uh, millstone around your neck and hamburgers and you hated me and September 13th 
September 13th? Yeah. I can't imagine what it meant. Oh, well, look, look. Start at the start. Huh? Why did I decide to murder you? Because of that other woman, your secret love. What? Yeah, you, you promised her you'd kill me tonight when I was asleep. My secret love? Yeah. She had you in her spell. <laughs> well, honey, that's kind of bad casting, isn't it? I'm the dishes and dustpan type, remember? In the five years we've been married, have I ever looked at another woman? I know. It was a crazy dream, I told you. Yeah, oh, all right, all right. Who was my secret love? Did, did she have a face? Oh, this is the silliest part of it, Ernie. It's absolutely ridiculous. It was that girl, Betty Daniels. Uh, Betty Daniels? Who's she? Remember that tall, dark-haired artist I introduced you to at Cape Cod this summer? Cape Cod? Yeah, the exhibition. No, no, no. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, trousers and, and a long cigarette holder, very intense. Yeah, very intense. Oh, now, what the devil? What was she doing in your dream? Well, we said hello to her, we walked off, and that was that, casual. I know. I hardly remember her myself. I can't imagine why I dreamt of her. Oh, that dream, that awful dream was so crazy. And yet it seemed to be telling me something. Warning me. Strange and weird, you know, how dreams are. First thing I remember is Provincetown and us looking at that art exhibition exactly as we did this summer. Only now, the picture was about ten feet tall and hanging crooked. And then she came along, Betty Daniels, just like them, black corduroy trousers, a yellow shirt, long cigarette holder, exotic. But this time, oh, so menacing. And she recognized me just as she was about to pass and stopped. Hello, Helen. And I introduced you the same way as I did then, only not exactly the same, like in a dream. Silly, you know? Betty Daniels, this is my husband, Ernest. He is very faithful to me. How do you do? How do you do? We've never met. That's a marvelous saw your painting, Helen, don't you think? Or do you prefer hamburgers? Well, my I... My wife prefers hamburgers, Miss Daniels. Oh? I didn't know. Oh, only after a movie, though. <laughs> Betty and I met on the beach, Ernie. She's a, a painter. Really? Our rowboats got tangled, that's how we met. Yes, it's all very casual. I hardly remember. Well, well. Ernie and I are going back to New York today, isn't it a shame? I wish you two wouldn't stare at each other, so... Well, we'd better be running along, Helen. Lots of packing to do. Ernie has to get back to his silly old job. He's a reporter. A reporter? Shouldn't he write a book he never wrote? Well, imagine that's what he always says. Well, goodbye, and I'm certainly glad you two won't be seeing each other again. Goodbye. Goodbye, you two. Goodbye. The scenes sort of dissolve into each other like a kind of dream movie. And I'm trembling with fright because I have a vague feeling I know how the plot's going to end. The next thing I remember, Ernie, 
I'm in a penthouse apartment on Park Avenue. Everything zigzag. Even the butler. And I'm the maid Marie there. And what I'm doing is turning pages for Betty Daniels while she plays the piano for you, Ernie. Isn't it crazy? Neither of you hardly notice me at all, and I keep trying to open my mouth, but it's stuck, and I'm absolutely frozen at what I overhear. Darling. Yes, Butch. Love our love nest. Mm-hmm. Out of this world. Ah, oh, this is heaven. Ernie. Hmm. Do you ever call your wife, Butch? <laughs> no, never. I'll give you that idea. I hate the very sight of her. She's really a little ignoramus. You're telling me she prefers hamburger. Ernie, do you think she suspects? No, no, of course not. She thinks I'm at a gin rummy game. Darling, you're blind. She knows. She knows? How'd she find out? You may go, Marie. Marie, do you hear me? Why don't you go? Answer me. Have you lost your tongue? Oh, well, there's murder in the air. How'd she find out, Betty? Tell me. Darling, do you suppose she doesn't know what happened this summer at Provincetown? After we all said goodbye, you came back to look for your cigarette lighter. She knew you hadn't lost your lighter, that you'd come back to ask me for my New York phone number. <gasps> she knew? Of course. Intuition. And she knows we've been having a secret affair ever since. Oh, Ernie, I can't go on like this. I'm tired of just being a gin rummy excuse. If you love me, you'll do what you promise. Yes, but I pity your soul. Don't be a fool. Has she ever encouraged your genius? Isn't it her fault you never wrote that book you never wrote? Yes, that's true. She wouldn't let me give up my job. She's a millstone around my neck. Then get rid of her, Ernie. Get rid of her, and I'll bring your genius to the world. I've plenty of money. You can give up reporting, write that book, fulfill your destiny. Fulfill my destiny. Betty, you'll help me. Yes, but only if you forget September 13th. You'll forget all about it, September 13th. It won't mean a thing to you from now on. Not a thing, I promise. And you'll do away with her, the way I told you. Yes. As you told me. The pillow? The pillow. <laughs> Don't let her hear. Just look at her there, standing at the piano. You've been spying on us, Marie, haven't you? Answer. Have you lost your tongue? Oh, don't try to fool us. We know you're not the maid. You're Ernie's wife. So we'll have to kill you now. <laughs> unless... Unless she gives me a divorce. Will you give him a divorce? Answer or we'll finish you right now. Very well. Here's the pillow, Ernie. Right now. <laughs> I'll hold her arms. Now answer, Helen. Don't make me do it. I pity you, but I hate you. Oh, let her cry. Look at her. Stricken dumb. Her mouth's moving, but she's not saying anything. What are you trying to say? Helen, please don't make me do it. Will you give me a divorce? Now tell me. Tell me or... Wait. 
Ernest, stop. Oh, what fools we are. Do we want her body found here? We'll hang for it. She's got to die. She's got to. No, no, not here. Not like this. There must be another way. Later tonight, Ernie. After a movie. Hamburgers. She'll get hungry for hamburgers. She's bound to. The waiter will ask her how she wants them. And that will give you the clue. And then, when she's asleep... <laughs> and they'll find her in her bed. The perfect crime. Don't you see any? Hamburgers. <laughs> oh, and so this Betty Watson name and I were going to commit the perfect crime with a hamburger. Huh? <laughs> Honey, you ought to sell that dream to Abe Burroughs just for the laughs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but it didn't in the dream. It was terrifying and so real, but so real. And then yeah. you dragged me out into the street and then into a movie and then out again. I looked at you. And you were crying because you had made up your mind to finish me off when we got home. Holy smokes. You know, that dream of yours sounds like something out of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> well, as we went down the street, you kept crying out. You should have let me write that book, Helen. You should have let me. No kidding. Yeah, and I kept crying. I love you, Ernie. Don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Uh, and then what happened? Then you pulled me along through the streets again. I was terrified. I shrieked as loud as I could. He's going to murder me. He's going to murder me. But no sound came. I saw a policeman and I tried to run to him, but my feet seemed paralyzed. But finally, I caught up with him and I cried to him, Officer! Officer! Yes, what is it, lady? Please save me. My husband here wants to kill me. Well, now, wants to kill you, huh? Why, that's a crime. <laughs> a felony. Oh, why are you joking? Don't joke about it. Do something, please. I'm frightened to death. Don't pay any attention to her, officer. She's dreaming. No, I am not. Don't believe him. He wants to wait till I go to sleep tonight. And then, as soon as I fall asleep... Oh, come now, lady. He wouldn't do it to you in your sleep. You're cute. Not in her sleep, now, would you, mister? Of course not, officer. Not in her sleep. As a matter of fact, we're stopping off first for a hamburger. She's hungry. No, 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 I'm not. I am, but I don't dare. I'm starving, but I don't dare. He's just waiting for me to order one to see what I say. And then he'll take me home and kill me. Oh, lady, stop. You're breaking my heart. Come along, dear. No, no, officer, please protect me. Don't let him take me. Come along, I say. Darling. And then... We were in a little lunchroom in our neighborhood around the corner from our house, sitting on the stools. The counterman came over to us. He winked at you, Ernie, and you winked back at him. And then he said, Evening, folks. Well, you have. I'll tell you what, Joe. Make it two hamburgers. Right. Rare, medium, or well? Medium, Joe. Make mine medium. Right. And, uh, the little lady? How will you have yours, Helen? Answer. How do you like yours? 
Baker's medium, too, Joe. Two hamburgers, medium. What do you have on them, folks? Relish or onions? Relish. Make mine with relish, Joe. Right. And a little lady? The man's talking to you, Helen. How will you have yours? Answer him, I say. Go on, answer him. This is it. This is the payoff. How will you have yours? I won't tell him. If I do, you'll know. You'll know how to do it, so I won't tell him. I won't. The next thing I dreamt, we're home again. Sitting in the parlor. Everything exactly the same, Ernie. Just like tonight before we went to bed. But in my dream, I was sitting paralyzed. In a cold sweat, waiting for the word. The word from you that meant my death. Oh. Oh. Well, Butch, I guess we'd better hit the hay, huh? What do you say? What do you say, darling? No, wait. Ernie. I did tell that counterman how I wanted my hamburgers served, didn't I? Of course, dear. What did I say? I I can't seem to remember. (laughs) I forget, too. Don't read anything into it, dear. Now, come along to bed. I don't want to go to bed yet. Please, don't make me go to bed. I'm scared. Helen! (laughs) Come to bed, darling. Like a good little girl, huh? We went to bed. Then you said... And now lights out, huh? That's it. I tried to think of everything I knew to keep awake. I wondered whether I ought to count to a hundred or whether counting would put me to sleep. I tried not to count, but I felt myself getting sleepier and sleepier... Asleep, honey? I heard, but I pretended not to. I fought to keep my eyes open. I knew I would die if I closed them. Asleep, Butch? I didn't answer. I couldn't if I wanted to. I was so scared. And then pretty soon I heard you stirring ever so quietly. And in a moment you were leaning over me. Oh, Ernie, I know it was just a dream, but it was so real. And there was hatred in your eyes, and there was a pillow in your hand, and I knew you were going to do it right then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee, that's a beaut. You know, that's really a honey. (laughs) You know, when you have a a nightmare, you should do it up golden brown and creamy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wasn't it crazy? Oh, darling, wasn't it mad? (laughs) But, Ernie... How does a person have a horrible dream like that? What does it mean? Well, it's a cinch. I'll, I'll interpret it for you. And without a dream book. You will? <laughs> Good, then tell me. All right. Easiest thing in the world. Darling, where did we go tonight? To a movie. Uh-huh. What kind of a movie? Uh, it was a, a murder mystery. Gee, that's right. You think uh, that uh, was Don't, wa- don't, don't interrupt, Butch. Now, who was starring in the movie? Betty Davis. Now, repeat that first name. Betty. Uh-huh. And the villainess in the dream, my secret love, the girl we met last summer, was also Betty, Betty Daniels, huh? Well, that gave you Betty on the brain when you went to sleep tonight. And movies, and murder, and those hamburgers you did stop to eat after the show wrapped up the whole sequence. And no wonder, they're still lying on my stomach, too. (laughs) Well, what was the pillow doing in it? Oh, darling, what were you talking about this evening at supper? That chore you intended to do tomorrow? 
Huh? Oh, I've got to stuff the pillows. Ah. They're caved in the way the feathers have come out. Right. That's your pillow you had on your brain, which uh, brings me back to the hamburgers. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, that nonsense of how did I want the hamburgers... What does all that mean, for heaven's sake? Precious, how did you order your hamburgers done tonight, remember? No, I don't recall. No, 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 of course you can't think now. How, how do you almost always order your hamburgers? Well, smothered in onion. Huh? Oh, Ernie, of course smothered in onion. Smother, <laughs> pillow, smother with the pillow. Check. Oh, for goodness. Oh, my gosh, so that was... <laughs> well, if that doesn't... Ernie, that was wonderful, really. Uh, the way you did that, figured it all... I think you'd make a terrific detective. <laughs> so I'm a police reporter, close enough. Ernie, dear, <laughs> it made me think, though, about maybe I have been a little selfish. Don't what do you mean? Well, that book you always wanted to write, maybe I ought to let you give up your job and try. Oh, not nuts. Have us both starved? No, thanks. Anyway, in my sane moments, Helen, I've always known the truth. I'm no writer. If I had it in me, it would have come out of me, job or no job. I could uh, take up nursing again. Well, it was hard, No, but... no, not since. I won't have it. I don't say any more about it, and that's final. You, uh, you're a swell guy, though, Butch, to offer to. <laughs> oh, Ernie, there was one thing more. Yeah. What do you suppose that was about September 13th, about your forgetting September 13th? What does that mean, do you know? Mm -hmm. Don't you? No, I can't. Well, it does seem familiar enough, but I can't seem... Where are you going? Uh, get something out of my wallet. Wait a minute. Helen. Hmm? Helen, what's the date of our anniversary? Hmm? Uh, it was September 13th, of course. The, tomorrow... Was that... Right, right. You've had that on the brain, too. Uh, by the way, here. little present for you, darling. Tickets? Two airplane tickets to Havana? Right again. We're taking an anniversary trip. I wanted to surprise you when you woke up, but... <sighs> Happy anniversary, baby. Oh, Ernie. Oh, you great, big, precious darling. How can I ever... Then you didn't forget. You always did before, but this time you didn't. Oh, I can't stand it. First that dream, and then finding out it did mean the opposite. Oh, oh, oh now, Helen, don't, don't now. Come on. Oh, but it was so sweet of you. I'm so thrilled, Havana, where we had our honeymoon, and you haven't forgotten. Oh, Ernie, I do hope I've been a good wife to you. And if there's anything I ever... I mean, if you, if you want me to, I can always change. <laughs> Darling, I, I wouldn't want you any different for the world. I want you to stay just the same sweet little girl I married. <laughs> and now let's get some shut-eye, huh? Lights out? Hmm? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to put the tickets right here under the pillow. <laughs> there. And have a happy dream for a change. <sighs> Good night, Butch. Hey, you haven't kissed me. <laughs> Good night, dear. Asleep, darling? 
Darling, are you asleep? Hello? This is Betty, Ernie. Oh, it's you. Well, is it done? Are we free? No, no, not yet. You shouldn't have phoned before. She was awake. Did you get the plane tickets? Yes, yes. It has to be tonight. You promised. Yes, I know. What's the matter? I think she suspects. Suspects? Yes, yes, it's incredible, but she had a dream just the way everything's happened. A dream? What are you talking about? I'm trying to explain. She was telling me of the dream she had. Everything in it was just the way it happened. And she dreamed what was coming. Ernie, is she asleep now? Yes. Then what are you waiting for? With a pillow? A pillow? I'll do it now, right now, as soon as I hang up, Betty. Right now. This pillow. Slip out of bed. Easy, easy. There. Hello. Right now. Oh. oh. Helen. Helen, you... You had it. You had a gun. Ah. Oh. There was one part of my dream I left out, Ernie. In the end, I killed you. And so the curtain falls on I Dreamt I Died, which was chosen by guest expert Hugh Pentecost, whose latest novel is Where the Snow Was Red. Next week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of three people caught in a whirlpool of intrigue, with death their fourth companion, as selected for your approval by Miss Helen McCloy. Until then, this is your host, John Dixon Carr, hoping you'll be with us next week at this time. I Dreamt I Died was written by Joseph Ruskell. In our cast were Ann Shepard, Larry Haynes, Grace Coppin, and James Stevens. Music on the program is under the direction of Emerson Buckley, composed by Richard DuPage. Murder by Experts is produced and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons, living or dead, was purely coincidental. This is Phil Tonkin speaking. This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System.
That was I Dreamt I Died from Murder by Experts here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Okay, so this was brought to us this week, Tim's Choice. Yes. Tim, this is your second Murder by Experts, is that correct? It is. That you brought to us? Uh, It's a really interesting show. Uh, You said in the intro that you wrote for us, Something I really enjoy about the show and the cleverness of plugs. How, <laughs> what a great concept this is to sell books. It's like Russian dolls. They're just like <laughs> one inside the other. But it's, it's just such a beautiful concept. Let's have a, a well-known author host it and promote all these different books that people can buy as someone that frequently has to promote their work uh find it uh, beautiful <laughs> really well done yeah, well done I, I was listening to this episode on my way over here and my son was in the car and i had to try to explain this concept to him and it was it was ridiculous <laughs> was, well, this is john dixon Carr. he's a famous author and he's like oh, so these are his stories no they aren't his stories he just hosts this and he finds another mystery writer. Oh, so that's it's his story. No. And this other mystery writer then finds another mystery writer. Third writer down the chain. Tim. Yes. First, what made you go back to Murder by Experts? Uh, I really enjoyed Return Trip, uh, which was the first Murder by Experts mm-hmm. we did in this podcast. And John Dixon Carr is is known particularly for his love of locked room mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, which appeal to me. I love those sort of little mind games. So I was digging around for more Murder by Experts episodes, and this one jumped out at me. Although I was hesitant to bring it, actually, because I had picked that out earlier, but it is the exact next episode after Return Trip broadcast, so I, I feared your judgment of, like, you just took the <laughs> next one in line. Well, why would I be mad at you for what I do? <laughs> Easiest, straight lines, man. That'll be fine. If you think I'm spending any time trying to... The next thing that pops up. That's the one we're doing on our podcast. <laughs> because we got some uh, little Abner coming up. So. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's kind of spooky. Little Abner by experts. <laughs> Yokenberry tonic. Seriously. that What is in that? Why did you settle on this one in particular? Listening to this episode for me was a journey. <laughs> I will agree with you on that. I'm just... Quickly, like, okay, uh, I get, it's a murder mystery, the husband and a wife in a bed. And that is both intriguing, like, wow, that's a sort of interesting game to play of can you write a murder mystery of the, just two characters in a bed? And also, well, how is this going to be a story? <laughs> it was so surprising that, and fun for me, that the way that things unfolded. Mm-hmm. At times, we're like, that's amazing. I'm so intrigued, and that's dumb. Uh, And I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys if our opinions line up. Well, I think you're somewhat close, because I just had a huge grin on my face for the first 20 minutes of this. I mean, a good grin. Like, this is great. Is this some undiscovered classic that I didn't know about? (laughs) For some of the same reasons you said. It's a real time that takes place just in one room in a husband and wife's bed, and we're going to recount this dream. I love Spellbound by Alfred Hitchcock, which is you know roughly yeah, in the oh. same time period of dream analysis. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is great. And then I do think it all falls apart in about the last 10 minutes of it. Yeah. Or at least does not fulfill the promise of the earlier half of it. Uh, I will tell you who does love this is Wimpy from Popeye. 
the Hamburglar and my dog all <laughs> enjoyed this show about hamburgers. Did you Google people who love hamburgers before you started no, those recording? Are the, those are the first three people. That, my dog is a people that popped into my head. Oh, and me. I love hamburgers. I uh, love the hamburger through line in here, in all seriousness, because I thought it was this really ingenious way to capture how stupid the things that terrify you in a dream are when True. you recount them. Yes. The scene when she's recounting her dream. And she doesn't want to order. And she doesn't want to order. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this guy's going, what do you want? Relish? <laughs> Onions? And it, it, it again walks that fine line between mm-hmm. comedy and tension. And I thought, this is either brilliant or the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but I'm leaning toward brilliant. And um, I'd hold it in higher regard if it came through in the end as a story. And I, I don't think it quite does. Yeah, I, I felt similar to the way they always referenced the book you never wrote. Yeah, I, I didn't like that they didn't give us a, a reason for why she stopped him from writing the book. Was yeah, there a reason? she didn't want him to quit his job and focus. Well, this right. idea okay. of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the wife who doesn't support him and forces him to do a job he doesn't like instead of the job he loves. And the woman in the dream, Betty, has money and is clearly, they met her at an art exhibit. And she's this woman who yeah. wants to make him into a great writer and support him financially. To me... And maybe it's just a different era that it's not explained. Why couldn't he write in his spare time? But I guess if it's, I'm quitting everything to write this book, then I get it. It is perhaps intentional, the idea that he would never have written this book, but it's convenient for him to have the excuse to blame her. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, as far as this crime goes, of when the police show up, this is, won't be difficult to solve. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, oh, here's the problem. Uh, she is going to have a very tough time explaining her defense to the police. Tim was talking about he had either the way husband survived and killed her. How was that a freebie to have your wife be smothered with a pillow mm-hmm. in bed? Like, <laughs> I don't know who could have done it, officer. <laughs> but my, what I inferred from this is that she knew what was going on and made up her dream. That's my whole question at the end. I think it is hugely unclear. I think it's the only possible reading in which it works, but that reading still doesn't quite line up with the rest of the story. Yeah. Let's pretend that that is, or let's assume, I should say, that that is what it is. So she knew the whole time. She made up the dream, pretended to be having a nightmare to wake him up and to go through this really long process to finally shoot him. It's not really well thought out at all. There's no evidence of you being abused or a crime. or And even if it was that he was having an affair, you still don't get to shoot him. It's a terrible idea. I mean, it only works if there was a policeman hidden in the bedroom <laughs> right. the whole time. <laughs> Which I think is a fair assumption. <laughs> the shadow. I think so. You're, you're also always willing to backfill <laughs> these things to make it work out for the story. <laughs> It's a terrible plan. It's no more terrible than the guy who's about to kill his wife in bed no. calling his girlfriend to talk to her out loud in bed with his wife yeah. about killing her. All right. We're going to discuss your murder here. No wake up. Yeah. No one has ever pretended to be asleep when they're not. This is foolproof. Uh, well, she also didn't remember her anniversary was the next day. <laughs> September 13th, I have no idea why. I mean, maybe we got married. Oh, right. That did stick out to me because they said that we were married five years. 
and they're surprised that you remembered where we were on honeymoon and five years ago. <laughs> that's where you have to retroactively read that she is toying with him yes. by making up this entire dream. Because mm-hmm. she loses about 40 IQ points um, when she's done recounting the dream in that scene where she's like, oh, our yeah. anniversary. Oh, of course. I was talking about restuffing the pillows. Like, his connections are so obvious. Mm-hmm. And she experienced all the same things. She could only be playing stupid. It's the only thing that makes sense. The, her plan was she found out about the affair, so she made up the dream, the whole thing, to trap him into... Again, I'll backfill, to see if he'd really do it. Yeah. I can see that, yep. And she had the gun just in case. And, and then he got on the phone with her pretending to be asleep, and he goes, hi, you were really going to do it. But he, it is a terrible plan. Now, I'll concede when I heard this episode, like I heard that ending, went, that's a flaw and makes me hesitant to bring this. Mm-hmm. But the dream description itself and the, the whole... Yeah, he said, I think about the first 20 minutes, until she finishes recounting her dreams, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I think I, I had me hooked. But I mean, I am attracted to these outlier stories that are, mm-hmm. are unconventional or play with the format, though... If you're going to experiment, you need to come through on the yeah. ending. Um, but I love the descriptions of Betty. I love when he's like, oh, yeah, trousers. Trousers. Cigarette holder. Very intense. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that woman with trousers. Yes. <laughs> I love it when people say stupid things when they're frustrated. It, it makes me laugh. And, and the phone rings and he goes, everything is happening tonight. <laughs> Everything is happening tonight. And I thought he did a great job telling you that he is a jerk and you suspect him the entire time. He's like punching his pillow and he gets so angry by her dream and he has no patience for her. And what I was looking for when I went back listening to a second time is, are there any intimations in the performance or the writing that the wife is putting on an act to mm-hmm. to go back and get that reading of she's making this whole dream up. Mm-hmm. And I think the only moment is very early on when he leans in for a kiss and she goes, stay away from me, and gets sort of scared mm-hmm. for a minute. But still, I think it's a stretch. Uh, here's another thing that always bugs me, especially in books, fiction, whatever. When people get mad at other people for what they did in their dreams. <laughs> I've had it happen a few times where someone has been mad at me. You did this in my dream. What? You're actually at fault. You dreamt it. <laughs> Do you ever had anybody get mad at you for something you did in their dream? I'm much more likely to be a person who gets mad at someone for what they do in my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Things got really tense in the room. <laughs> Why? Why? It's a dream. Feelings are irrational. <laughs> oh, that... Were I to dream about you and you do something that I get mad about in my dream, mm. I would not actually hold you accountable for the dream. Okay. He actions. would recount the dream with a hidden gun close by. <laughs> <laughs> so that if it turned out to be true, he'd shoot you dead. You ever had anybody hold you accountable? No. I have. Like, Well, we got to let that go. It was a dream, and uh, I did not do that for real. You owe me a dream apology. <laughs> I'll come back into your dreams tonight, and I will apologize. Now, we, we have ripped on this a lot, but speaking of dreams, I do want to go back to, uh, like you were saying about the dream sequences being really solid. I love the scene with the piano and the, the old dream trope of not being able to speak during a nightmare, and that she's just turning the pages for this woman who's cheating 
<laughs> yes. with her husband while they discuss her murder and the piano music tinkling <laughs> underneath it. it was great and it has one of my favorite lines and i hope we can all agree to start introducing our spouses this way <laughs> when she says this is my husband he's very faithful to me <laughs> <laughs> I love that so it's much. Part of the it's just the <laughs> exposition with a hammer way that right. <laughs> dialogue works but that's in a the dream. kind of ridiculous stuff. Yeah, it felt really authentic in that way. The recreation of the dream I loved. And just as you said, for that reason that it did feel like a dream. Like how dreams are weird and have these crazy moments and and it reminded me of, and here we go, I have no idea, maybe one person out there is going to get this. It reminded me of listening to the pros and cons of hitchhiking, which is a Roger Waters Oh, yes, I know album. that album, actually. Yeah. It's no, a, I'm, now I'm embarrassed. I'm the one person and I'm on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he woke up one night and wrote down his dream and turned every word of what he wrote down into that concept album. Wow. Yeah. And if you listen to the lyrics of that album, it flows and moves just like a dream and it's cool it's like oh yeah and i thought that this recreation of a dream in this show did a really nice job of making it feel like a dream and like joshua said earlier do you want relish you know all these yeah, weird yeah. moments this tense tarantino-esque hamburger ordering scene <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> god i want a hamburger <laughs> <laughs> I really do like hamburgers a lot. Did you get the smothered in onions? Uh, that's a note right there. I'm looking at it right now. So I love that because my favorite hamburger is hamburger, bun, lots of onions. Tons of, and that's it. I don't want anything else on But did you guess that that was the murder clue buried in her order? No. I was just thinking about a lot of <laughs> onions. About hamburgers. And, and how badly I wanted a hamburger smothered in onions. Right now. <laughs> A plate like Wimpy used to get. Remember that big pile? Of, oh, my God. I want that so bad. I would order that. Well, Welcome uh, to our hamburger podcast. <laughs> well, but like we're to blame for that. They said the word hamburger at least 5,000 yeah. times. Yeah. Hamburger. Hamburgers by experts. <laughs> I think McDonald's could change their, you know, all beef patties, special sauce, cheese, pickles, onions, and it's going to give you nightmares. It <laughs> <laughs> oh. was a long way to go for that one. Oh, it uh, uses the word ignoramus, which I really want to come back oh. into style. I, I love that word. Probably just because it sounds like huh. ignorant and anus put together. <laughs> I'm childish, but <laughs> I was going to say ignoramus. <laughs> uh, another really uh, high level intellectual podcast, probably. <laughs> Unless someone's got something important to say, let's vote. Nope. I think it was close, but the, the ending and, and, and how it unraveled, there was too many loopholes for me to suspend disbelief, and, and it didn't make sense. Uh, I like some things about it, but uh, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like, I can't wait for this to get done. But when it was done, I went, oh. It felt like, oh, we're, we've got to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, I think that they... We wrote this really interesting story. We have no idea how to end it. Right. And I never got one. I I would not call this a classic. I don't know. I'd say it stands the test of time because its flaws are significant, but it is so interesting and fun. Historical novelty, I would guess I would say. Yeah, it's. I think it's of historical interest and just of oddball interest. I mean, I, I feel bad saying that, too, because I have to give it credit for having some 
really original scenes. Like mm-hmm. I have to admire something like that hamburger scene that can get tension out of that. <laughs> yeah. Legitimate tension. It, it still works as a contemporary failure. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it stands the test of time in that way, but um, I would definitely recommend an old-time radio enthusiast to listen to it just for the originality of the setup, even though it um, fails in the end. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Tim? Uh, if you'd like to learn more about us, please visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there, as well as information about our live shows, as well as links to our Threadless shop, where you can buy some mysterious old Radio Listing Society swag. You can find a link to our Patreon page, where you can support this podcast, which is much appreciated. You can also find links to our Facebook and Instagram accounts and have more of a community discussion with us and our fellow fans. Yes, and speaking of uh, fellow podcasters and fans, uh, we are recommending a show, Breaking Walls, which is currently doing a history of dramatic radio in documentary form. Uh, So it's really interesting. If you like old radio, they are covering the creation of uh, radio through the history of the golden age of radio through contemporary radio drama. So check that out at uh, thewallbreakers.com. And also uh, go uh, write us a review on iTunes. We we likes those reviews. All right. Who's next? Joshua, you up again? Yes. And I am bringing an episode of X-1 entitled Cold Equations. Until then... Look out! Oh, no. Everything's happening tonight. Hello. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today.